Welcome to Split, the After Ever After podcast. We're here along with other experts and real people with real stories to help you navigate life after separation. Whether you're newly separated or divorced and co-parenting, listen now for tips and advice on how to build a foundation for a more peaceful future. Hello and welcome to Split, the After Ever After podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things divorce, separation, and co-parenting. I am Jennifer Sanders. I am an accredited family law mediator, and I am usually joined by my co-host, Ashley Wood, who is a certified divorce coach. But today, I'm going to be flying solo, so you can let me know how you think I did. Today, in this episode, I had a great interview with founder and principal lawyer of Beeksma Law. She is located as well in Ontario, Canada, and her practice does a few areas of law with the main focus. Majority of their practice is on estate law and some on real estate law. And she not only uh, prepares wills and laws of powers of attorney, but also, as she talks about in the episode, can litigate for those as well. And so she is the best of the best. She is the pro of the pro. Uh, Her website, she talks about in the podcast and as well as in our show notes, Speaks My Law and she is has won awards for her practice. She is involved with so many area associations. And if you want to know that you are getting the proper legal advice regarding a state, this is the person that you want to speak to. In speaking with her today, I think there was just so many important areas brought up around a state law. We know that there's so much that gets separated when a couple separates of It's not only, you know, we talk about so much about co-parenting and obviously your bank accounts and your investments, but what happens after that with the rights to your estate, which is also something that needs to be separated. So I think this episode is jam-packed with a lot of things that you can start to look at today, questions you can ask yourself. Um, And I know myself, I have an existing will, but it even made me think, huh, you know what? It probably would be a good idea to have her review my will and just make sure that everything is covered. So jam-packed. I hope we didn't talk too fast today because we tried to cover uh, so many different areas and we definitely were were going back and forth about a lot of things. Um, These are a lot of issues that I see with my clients in mediation as well. Please enjoy this episode with Shana Beeksma. Hello, Shana. Thank you so much for joining the show today. We're really excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so, yeah flying solo today, but I know that you and Ashley have uh, communicated and I think connected over Instagram and yeah, I was looking at all of your content. I was really excited to speak with you because I am constantly trying to very strongly suggest to my clients that they should definitely look at estate planning, speak to an estate lawyer and um, get that legal advice as part of their agreements. Mm -hmm. So can we just maybe start at the beginning? Can you describe for our listeners, what is estate planning? What does that mean? What's involved? Absolutely. Uh, Because it's one of those things that we take for granted when we work in the legal field, right? But estate planning fundamentally comes down to getting your wills and powers of attorney done. That's the, you know, the broad umbrella word for that. And I would even go into a bit more specificity here because I think for a lot of people, the difference between a will and a power of attorney is unclear. They're wondering if I, I know I need a will, but do I need a power of attorney? Is that one of those optional documents or make work projects from lawyers that you don't really need? So I'll clarify that right now. You need both. You absolutely need both. And why is that? because a will takes effect only when you die. But what happens if you're incapacitated and so you're still alive, but you're unable to handle your finances, you can't see to the payment of your bills, you're unable to tell your doctor, you know, whether you consent to a surgery or a treatment or anything like that, somebody has to do those things for you. And a power of attorney authorizes somebody to do those things, make those decisions for you. And if you don't have a power of attorney, it can be exceedingly expensive to get a court appointed guardian, which is your alternative, or the government would make your decisions for you, which nobody really wants. Uh, That's a public guardian trustee. And I will add quickly that the public guardian trustee almost never agrees to be a guardian of the person, i.e. making 
your surgical, medical treatment decisions, all of that. So you're still going to be stuck with having to get someone to do that. And hospitals don't always accept next of kin, especially if there's a dispute. If Because you can have an estranged spouse and maybe a sibling who are claiming that they both have the authority to make that decision. And if you don't have a document in place that says who clearly has that decision-making authority, then guess what? The court has to get involved. And it's easily $10,000 or more to get a court-appointed guardian for property and or for personal, for, for the person. So yeah, save yourself the headache. You need a power of attorney in place. It's not an optional document. And I see in my office, too many clients come across my desk who waited too late. And then now a guardian has to be appointed. And now their loved ones are stuck with having to fork out that expense up front to get this done so they can make decisions for their loved one. So that's all of that is summed up in estate planning in terms of getting your will done for peace of mind after you pass away for your beneficiaries, your family, all your loved ones, and your power of attorney for if you get into an accident, you get seriously ill, um, you know, and either way, you're unable to make those decisions for yourself short term or long term. And do you see situations like that where, um, so obviously here we talk a lot about divorce and separation and how it affects mm -hmm. that, where someone maybe has an ex-husband from years ago is still named as the power of attorney mm -hmm. um, in the current situation. Yeah, that's a current thing, actually. We regularly update for clients who, you know, do take the advice of their family law lawyers or mediators, et cetera, to get their estate planning updated uh, if they already had a will and powers of attorney, like you said, naming their ex to come to us and get that changed ASAP. So we do that regularly and then you can get it updated. You can put on maybe a new partner, put on a sibling, maybe an adult child, you know, somebody that you love and trust uh, to make those decisions for you, whether it's in your will. So after you die or your power of attorney, which is while you're still alive, but unable to decide for yourself. The other thing though, that often catches people is if they are not yet divorced. So they are separated um, legally separated even for years, but if you never actually get a divorce and you don't have a will, yeah. this is a situation that often catches people unawares. Um, so basically right now, as the law currently is until January of next year, if you have been legally separated from your spouse, so legally married spouse, so common law doesn't count. It's, um, you know, same sex, opposite sex, you know, marriages, but it's marriage, yeah, legal marriage. Legal marriage. And, uh, and you pass away between now and January 1st of next year, and you don't have a will. Well, guess what? That ex of yours that you may not have seen in 10 or 20 years is now going to be entitled to the first um, $350,000 out of your estate. Okay. And they split whatever's left of your estate equally with your children. So that is a little bit terrifying for people who are thinking, oh my gosh, like I thought I just came to an agreement. You know, maybe they went to mediation, for instance, um, they had an agreement, they can live peaceably separate and apart. You've moved on with different partners or whatever. And you haven't had to interact maybe because your kids are adults now in over 10 years or five years or 20 years. I think of my parents who never quite got a divorce. Yeah, a lot They're of people for 20 they, years. Yeah, they just stay separated. Yeah, yeah. And then someone passes away. Um, your legally married spouse still has rights in Ontario. But notice I mentioned January. Things do change in January in a good way, but there's still a cautionary point. Okay. So as of January, new legislation will kick in in Ontario that will shrink that window down to three months. So if you and your spouse have been separated but are not divorced for a period of three months or less, and you pass away in that window and you don't have a will, then they're entitled to that preferential share is what the term is. For first 350 out of your estate plus a 350K, not $350, yeah, yeah. 350K out of your estate and then they're still entitled to split the balance with any children that you have. Um, but if you've been separated for more than three months, then they are disentitled to that. But that's January okay. of next year. So, I mean, we all hope and pray that we live long and healthy lives. But if God forbid you got into a car accident or something between now and then, and the worst were to happen, 
and you've been separated, but not divorced from your spouse and you have no will. Yeah. That's the thing. You have no will. Then these laws in Ontario kick in. You probably don't want that to happen, especially yeah. in the context of a divorce or separation. So all the more reason to like, how do you prevent this regardless? Get your will done, right? Just get it done, get it updated and sure you have one in place and a properly drafted one. Um, because if you get one, like if you try to do a will kit or do it yourself, you're setting your estate up for trouble. There's more added expense out of your estate uh, if we have to deal with that, because it's easy for people to invalidate those ones. And, uh, and then your beneficiaries are left holding an empty bag as if you died without a will, which enter stage left, a strange spouse who never yeah. got divorced. Yeah. So get your will properly done. I cannot emphasize it enough. So don't wait till it's too late. Now, can you speak to, because I know in um, separation agreements, there are clauses that after property division and transfer that's outlined, there's no further claims to each other's estate or anything mm -hmm. like that. Does mm -hmm. that, will that prevent that preferential uh, share? If you have if clear no wording. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would ensure that there's clear wording in that yeah. separation agreement. Okay. That's that explicitly includes the preferential share entitlement if uh, one or both spouses does not have a will. Because otherwise, just leaving it open to no further claims against the estate, it's subject to interpretation, right? right? And then an interpretation requires litigation, which means court fees and getting a court right. to decide. So just ensure that it's specifically carved out in there, including but not limited to um, any preferential share under the Succession Law Reform Act um, that could apply, you know, in the event of uh, one of the spouses, one of the parties predeceasing the other, just, yeah, explicitly put it in there. So there's no doubt. So then you have contract law that supersedes the legislation. Absolutely. If it's clear in there, then you can carve that out. Right. But if okay. it's not in there or yeah. if it's vague, then that's trouble. And that could happen. Right. Yeah, I'm always, I, we talked about this in some other episodes, it has to do with financial planning as well. I think it's always so interesting how clients, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, but aren't very concerned with getting the proper advice, financial advice, yeah, legal estate planning advice. Um, I don't know if it's that, what do you think? Do you think people just don't like to think about estate planning and what that involves? It's a combination. I mean, we all, you know, are shy, I think, for the most part, to think about our own mortality mm -hmm. or our own inability to make decisions for ourselves, our own incapacity. Uh, that's why even life insurance specialists have the same problem in terms of yeah. trying to get people to adequately plan for the worst to happen. And the thing is, two things are certain in life, right? So goes the old expression, death and taxes, yeah. right? So you want to make sure you're chatting with an accountant, if, you know, to make sure yeah. you have no negative tax implications on your death. But we all know eventually we die. And, uh, and I think especially for those of us who are not retired yet, we're not, I mean, maybe decades away from retirement. Then to us, the thought of death seems so far away because we assume that we're going to live till we're in our 80s and 90s and we delay dealing with these things. But then... You know, uh, as we're starting to see, I mean, COVID has brought that into sharp relief. You can definitely start to face issues like this much earlier in your life. It may not be your death, but it could definitely be you being incapable of handling right. your finances or your medical care decisions in the short term. And, uh, and so these are becoming increasingly important issues. And so avoidance doesn't get you anywhere. Procrastination doesn't get you anywhere. And in fact, it sets yourself and or your loved ones up for a financial headache mm -hmm. um, and uh, one that they don't need when they're already trying to deal with, you know, your loss of your ability to live independently or your death. Your death. You just don't want to leave them with this burden because then they're having to fork up money because they can't access your money for a while until they're authorized by the courts. Do you want to leave that with them where they have to go find a line of credit or dip into their savings or what if they don't have the money, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't need that burden on them when you could have just taken the time to plan. Um, and so, yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. 
you know, to end up spending, you know, 800, a thousand bucks, whatever it works out to be to get your estate planning done. It's a pittance in comparison. Mm-hmm. And then you have your peace of mind, you know, it's done properly because a firm like ours, we do everything in terms of estates. So we do the planning, which is the wills and powers of attorney. We do the administration, which is what happens after someone dies and you have to wind up someone's estate. That's the state administration. And we do litigation. So when there are disputes, right? where the executors can't agree or the beneficiaries are up in arms and, you know, a will needs to be challenged because it was probably fraudulently signed, which does happen. Um, You know, then deal with that as well. So with our firm, what clients are getting is they're getting, you know, not just their wills and powers of attorneys done, but they're getting them defensively drafted and properly papered in terms of evidence so that, these are wills that have an excellent shot of withstanding challenge. If you have someone who's ticked off that they were cut out of the will um, or who wants to challenge it in any other respect, it'll stand up to scrutiny. But that's because it's defensively drafted. It's thorough. They're long. They're about, uh, on average, 10 to 12 pages. It's not like a two, three-pager will. Like It makes yeah. sure that everything's in there. And then if someone needs a more you know, customized package, because we do see more and more of those blended families, so you got a divorce. Yeah. Now you're often, say, living common law with your new partner. Each of you is probably a divorce. Say you have your kids um, from your respective past relationships. You've come together now. You know, you're living a happy life, but now you need to plan. How is that going to work? You may or may not decide to get married, but now you have some complexities with your will and powers of attorney that you want to make sure are properly accounted for. You want to make sure your kids aren't left out in the cold if that relationship falls apart. But you probably also want to make sure your common law spouse, you know, is also not left out in the cold either. So how do you balance it too? A good estate lawyer will give you that guidance so that you can take care of this new chapter in your life, assuming that you've firmed up that divorce (laughs) with that ex, right? Or at least have an ironclad separation agreement, like you said, and your new will done. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's uh, procrastination back to your original question. It's, it's the thing we, it's avoidance. And I think there's also in line with what I was just mentioning, this idea among many people that a will and powers of attorney shouldn't cost much at all. Right. That, that where people aren't seeing that value. So that's why I let you know that value that save firms like ours. I know we're not alone in this. There are other firms that also focus heavily on a state law like we do then you're more likely to get a proper will done. Because I can tell you, I've seen um, in a litigation case right now, a will that uh, a gentleman, elderly gentleman paid, I think his final bill was like 150 or something for one will and two powers of attorney. And you look at the thing, we're driving a truck through it as we speak, right? Um, It's very, there's nothing there. There's like $150 nothing. just for $150 for the three documents, say yeah. versus like our fee for a single person would be $795 plus HST or for a couple, if they're mirror wills, $995 plus HST, assuming that they're not complex. Otherwise, you know, you yes. get a custom quote after that. So compare it to, you know, say 800 bucks as an example, you know, 150, what did he get? He got crap. And I'm easily able now to drive a proverbial truck through it with litigation, get a court order and validating it because it was so horribly done. And that was a, a you know, small town lawyer, not mocking small town lawyers. I have an office in a small town as well as in Hamilton, um, but somebody who did not know what they were doing, somebody who dabbles, right? Yeah. You yeah. don't yeah. want to go to somebody who's just a dabbler and uh, you will get what you pay for. If the price yeah. seems good to be true, just like with many things, it probably is. Yeah. So now his estate has headache and added expense now because this will is going to be knocked out and now they're going to have to settle with the beneficiaries on other terms, you know? Right. So, well, the I'm so glad you... yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think with these issues and so much in family law, people don't know what they don't know. So mm-hmm. they think, okay, you know, I wrote out these issues on my will, everything goes to my kids or whatever. They can use the will kit online or whatever. Yeah. They can. But they need someone like you to ask the questions and explain to them that there is all this stuff missing that they don't know yeah. that they don't know. They don't know to ask exactly. about it. Exactly. Another common one I'm seeing with like, say the higher rates of diagnosed, uh, say autism, for instance, and ADHD, you know, in our kids, so on the more severe end, 
those kids may not be able to, as adults, hold down, hold down full-time jobs. And so if they're not able to do that and you have reasonable foreseeability based on their specialist recommendation, they may forever be on, say, ODSP, right? On yes. disability support program. Yeah. Then guess what? You need to plan for that in your will. Yeah. Because if God forbid you were to pass away as a parent and um, they get an, in, you know, an, an inheritance out of your estate, then you know, they can be disqualified, disentitled to their ODSP benefits. And so in the short term, you may say, well, if they're getting a windfall between my life insurance and my RSPs and, you know, any other assets I have, well, they'll be covered in the short term. Yeah, they will, but they probably don't have the bandwidth in terms of the cognitive capacity to manage those finances prudently and ensure that they can live adequately off the interest and maybe any dividends if they're invested and not need the ODSP. And then what happens when the money runs out? Yes, right. It, yeah, yeah. So you were you probably don't want to be going down that route when you could have planned appropriately with what we call a Henson trust. I was going to so say that in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, so right. it carves out their inheritance. It puts it into a trust. They can keep getting their ODSP benefits, and then they know that they still have that asset safely stored away. And if they need to tap into it, you know, under certain terms, they can tap into it without losing their ODSP. But you, a will kit won't tell you that. Right? Well, exactly. And yeah. it won't have those clauses to protect that child of yours that you want to make sure is provided for. That's one example. Or another example is uh, because I often uh, work in tandem with a, a particular trusted uh, life insurance specialist um, with my practice. And uh, she will say that a common question she gets is, okay, so now I, you know, a client has gotten a million dollar policy. Maybe it's a $2 million policy, even whatever the amount is, it could be 500,000. Okay, so what if I die, but my kids are minors right now? Um, I know that at law, they'll be entitled to my estate entirely by the age of 18 if I don't otherwise have a will, but I'm not comfortable with them getting, especially if it's only a couple of kids, you know, $250,000, a million, just in their lap. We all remember when we were teenagers and young adults that, you know, us got six figures suddenly in our yeah. lap at 18, 19, 20. We may not have made the wisest right. financial decisions with that. Yeah. You yeah. know, can you save like multiple trips to Bali, for instance, yeah. you know, for partying or whatever? And so she often gets the question, how do I protect them from themselves yeah. if that were to happen? And that's where your will comes in. And that's where we are able to plan for that with what we call a graduated trust in your will. Um, so that your child, if you die while they're still a minor, you know, then once they hit 18, they're only getting a portion of their share and then they can probably get more at say 21. It's however you want to structure it. They can probably get more at 25 or they get the full balance at 25 as an example. Or if you really don't think they're going to be trustworthy, then you can bump it up to 30 that they get everything. The worst I've seen is where parents put, you know, 35 or 40. I'm like, okay, by the time you hit 30, we're, we're all responsible. You should be good. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But you know, your kid better than anyone, but you can't do that kind of planning with a will kit or will that you write on your own. Right. You need a professional who's going to ask you these questions, like you said, and say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? What happens if this happens? What do you want to have happen? You're thinking, oh, I didn't even think of that. That's our job. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's so important. I didn't think about the fact that, yeah, choosing an estate lawyer who does also litigate so that you are aware of of how to be on the defense as well. And like you said, Mm. dropping defensively. And I was, it's funny that you mentioned these small town lawyers because yeah, I'm in a small town too, not to disparage them, but I think every small town has a very elderly (laughs) estate lawyer in a dusty office just yeah. kind of churning out wills for 500 bucks or something. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure and they're so not aware. Careful. They're not, they're not yeah. because they haven't, if they haven't had to challenge these documents right. or defend as a witness, when those documents are challenged, then they honestly don't know what you don't know. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, there are many exemplary folks in small towns as well, but just be careful if you're given a quote that seems too good to be true investigate that person's credentials more because it does matter and it'll make a big impact on your loved ones think of them because many people say well i'm dead what do i care 
yeah, you don't care when you're dead, yeah, it's not for you, but your you. kids, your spouse, you know, your close family will care. Yeah. And yeah. you don't yeah. want to leave them with a disproportionate burden that could have been so entirely avoided. Right. Like look at the difference, say, uh, when I mentioned uh, powers of attorney and guardianship, I mentioned that a guardianship application will cost you at least $10,000 realistically, because alone, you have to get capacity assessments from independent capacity assessors, you know, who are authorized by the Ministry of the Attorney General. So they have to be in a roster. They, you need two of those per application, as an example, okay? Each capacity assessment runs between around seven to 800 bucks in the Hamilton area, but I've seen it get as high as a thousand bucks if someone's in Toronto. And you need two of those. Yeah. So your loved one has to fork out at least, you know, what's that, 1400 to $2,000 yeah. to get two capacity assessments. And that's just for property. If you also need a guardian now for the person to make your healthcare decisions, you need two other capacity assessment reports. Yeah. So now you're looking at four of those, okay? That can be as high as $4,000. And that's just for the supporting evidence that's required. You may think, okay, to get a doctor's note. No, in most cases, the court will not accept an ordinary doctor's note because they don't cover all the requisite heads that need to be covered for a court to decide if someone's an appropriate person to, to you know, be appointed as a guardian. And then you have your legal fees because it's a thick you know, set of documents and then we have to appear at a hearing. And if it's contested, it could be more than 10,000 yeah. because then suddenly you have somebody else who's forking out that kind of money to compete against your application if they persuade the court that you as, I don't know, you know, Jane Doe's spouse or Jane Doe's, you know, child is better suited. Mm -hmm. Compare that to the cost of getting POAs done, powers of attorney. Mm -hmm. As an example, our office charges 250 bucks plus HST if you just need to do your powers of attorney and not your will. Oh, wow. Do you yeah. see that gross difference yeah. in price? Like, it's yeah. like, Peace of mind, having it properly done, you don't need guardianship, you know, court appointed guardianship, unless everybody listed in your power of attorney, you know, passes away, refuses to act or is incapable right. of acting is exceedingly yeah. rare. Right. Yeah. So it's a no brainer that get it done and save all that expense that your people who are trying to take care of you mm -hmm. and want to be able to make these decisions for you have to find out of their own pockets first before they can be reimbursed. Right. They can only be reimbursed once they're appointed. Once they you know, appointed. that's, that's yeah. not a fair burden to leave on them at all. And frankly, it's, I know that for people going through family law proceedings, you know, finances are already thin. I get that, but think about what's important. This is very important to do. And what's the risk if you don't do it, it's huge for your loved ones. We plan for things that are important plan for that as well. And in most cases, we can find the money somehow to make sure that that's taken care of and we have peace of mind through the process. You're getting your separation agreement, good. You're getting your divorce finalized, good. Get your estate planning done now too, good. Okay, everything's checked off. Update your life insurance beneficiaries. Yeah. <laughs> Update your RSP beneficiaries. Yeah. If you have any, like any of those, um, maybe tax-free savings account as well, if you listed an X on there. Just, you know, make sure that you're checking off everything that needs to be updated so your ex is completely out of your life. Yes. And you have all the planning to take care of any kids that you may have or yourself and move forward with peace of mind. Peace of mind is what you want. Yeah. And peace yeah. of mind for not just you, but your loved ones. And that's worth money. Like that's like, aside from the actual monetary value, but yeah, to me, to go to bed, your head on the pillow at night, you know that things are, that things are taken care of. Exactly. Um, so if people are going into a separation, at what point should they see you? Should they see you at the beginning to sort of ask questions? Like how should that process work? And maybe what are some of the areas you mentioned beneficiaries? What are some other things that they should start to think about? Yeah. So for instance, uh, a client that we recently assisted, she came to us right at the outset. She found out that her husband, uh, you know, was not only cheating, but had moved in with uh, his new girlfriend. And so there was no chance of reconciliation. They have two young boys. So she came to me right away and said, okay, what do I do here? So yeah. I said to her, okay, you can do a couple of things. First of all, update. I was like, do you have any sort of mediation agreement yet? Because sometimes in some mediation agreements, they can say that you're not allowed to change anything when it comes to title to property or your right. wills and attorney. 
So she said, no, I haven't met with the mediator yet. We haven't signed anything. I said, okay, well, this is your loophole to act now. Okay, so we can get your will and powers of attorney drafts done within a week before you're meeting with that mediator. And if you're fine with that, then we can get you to sign off on it. So you've already changed your estate planning. You weren't contract bound to not do that. And I think that's why. So come to us right away. As soon as you know that things are likely going to be irreconcilable, you need to make moves to protect yourself and or your children, then see your lawyer right away for some initial advice. Because timing, as you can see by that, can be everything. If you wait until now you've signed a mediation agreement, you may be halted from doing that until you then have you know, yeah. settlement agreement, right? Yeah. So speak to your lawyer right away, get that done, get your wills and power, will and powers of attorney updated. And also, because our office also does some real estate law, I would say about 30% uh, of my practice are involves real estate transactions and title changes for this topic. Okay, yeah. So, a lot of people have bought a property, if you're a homeowner, with your spouse. 99% of the time you hold it as what we call joint tenants, mm -hmm. which gives you a right of survivorship. Um, what that means that if one of you were to pass away, the other takes title entirely right. to the property on your death. If you're the first one to go, you probably don't want that now that you have this estranged spouse and look at that client of mine who, I mean, he turned out to be quite an unsavory character, right? You know, left her and moved in with his new girlfriend, a very common story, unfortunately. So I advise her, we can also sever your joint tenancy. And that does not require his consent. You don't have to notify him. And so what we do is it's some paperwork and we change the title. And by severing the joint tenancy unilaterally, it moves it into what we call tenants in common. What does that mean? You're now holding title to the property as investors do, which by default, if there are two persons, say an estranged couple, now you each have a 50% share that if you were to pass away before he does or she does, prior to things being resolved by a mediation agreement or, a, or sorry, a separation agreement, then your estate gets your 50% share. That estranged spouse doesn't take title to the whole thing. And then you're right. fighting about that or your estate's fighting with your estranged spouse about that after you die. Right. So those are the two things I recommend to clients. So come to us right away once you know that things aren't looking good. You're not going to be able to reconcile. How do you protect yourself? Number one, to summarize, update your will and powers of attorney or get them in place. Yeah. Number two, if you own property with that spouse, sever the joint tenancy and turn it into tenants in common. So at least you preserve 50% for your estate, which should not have your ex as the main beneficiary. Right. And <laughs> so then that has to be changed too. Got it. Exactly. Okay. And then you go into your, you know, your mediation, you know, yeah. trying to get to a separation agreement, get your divorce finalized, but you know that you've already made your moves there. You're not contract bound to not. So you protected yourself. Now you can go through the settlement process and that actually gives you more leverage, frankly, because now that's, you know, a strange spouse will see that uh, if they have a lawyer that they're working with, for instance, who's pulled title and say, oh, okay. It's not even like I stand to drag this out and think that if, you're say terminally ill, God forbid, with a cancer diagnosis. Okay, if I drag it out long enough, you know, I'm gonna get more. You yeah, yeah. windfall. People can yeah. play very dirty. Yeah. And no, it's like, no, you've already taken care of your affairs. So now come to the table, be fair. Yeah. And let's see what we can come to in an agreement, you know, through say, you know, your practice of your mediation practice, and let's move on. Yeah. Forward, you know, I in our different you, directions. Right. I think you've hit on a really important one there with this severing joint tenancy because I think with the real estate costs now it's more and more I'm seeing that clients are staying jointly in that matrimonial home mm -hmm. sometimes they agree to for a few years mm -hmm. um, because they just can't afford to um, each yeah. get their own property and I always of course do encourage them you know you need some estate planning you need to get some legal advice about this but yeah there is always that gap that if something happens in that time, it's going to before you settle that property. So often they'll do an agreement that in the future. So by, you know, this date, 2023, the home will be sold, whatever. But in the meantime, if something happened, then yeah, the other person is going to get all of it, which I'm sure is not what no, they want. No, but unless you have an amicable, and that's exceedingly rare, 
relationship with your ex such that you trust them to do with that property what you would have wished and trust is a very laden term because guess what if you don't have you know a document place to force that trust you know uh then they can deviate from that and people change when someone is incapable or someone is deceased you know, you see different colors come out of people. And I hear it time and time again. Oh, I know that he'll do the right thing. I know that she'll do the right thing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. Paper it. Paper yeah. it. Paper it. And you paper it by, like you, like we were saying, getting your will and powers of attorney done, getting that severance of the joint tenancy. So you've preserved that share for your estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then at least, you know, that those things are done. Yeah, I've, I've come across clients, especially those who have, say, basement apartments who wear one spouse, typically the man in that case, if it's a heterosexual relationship, um, has moved into the basement. And then uh, the woman with the kids is living on the main floor yeah. and or upstairs. And uh, they live like separate, but together if they have that opportunity. So uh, it's becoming, like you said, increasingly common because of the real estate market, but protect yourself. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And I think that's a really good point too, that I think most people, I know at least most of my clients think the, the will is something they'll do after, right? They'll do it last at the end. A lot of mm-hmm. them will sort of have something, you know, months after even the separation agreement will agree to get wills. So <clears throat> I think that's a really good point that they should come at the beginning as well. Come at the beginning, get it yeah. done. Come at the beginning, even if, because people may say, well, I don't know who I want to appoint right now. It's just so much going on in my life and mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed. Anybody but your ex. Okay. Right, just choose Anybody but yeah. your ex. <laughs> You, most of us are fortunate to have, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, support network around us, a trusted friend, a sibling, a parent who's still, you know, more than with it. You can update your will later on for a fraction of the cost of originally drafting it. You know, if you want to just swap out names, right. That's, that's very cost effective. It's like, uh, I believe about a third of the price, right. So it's like, just do that later. Just get something in now that takes your ex off please yeah. just do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And then you can finesse it more later. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I really, I know that people don't think about that. And, and I think it's important too. you talked about reviewing a will, because a lot of times when I ask people, okay, do you have wills in place when we get to that point? And they say, oh yes, we have a will. And just like that statement, it covers everything. And it's like, okay, what kind of will, what's in the will, yeah. what does it say? So yeah, it did that one that anybody can easily knock out because it was poorly right. done by a dabbler, right? You right. know, right. Um, or is it a proper will? And our firm, we don't do make work projects, right? If your will actually looks fine, we'll tell you it looks fine. Yep. You know, we'll charge you a small fee for us to review it, um, but we'll let you know, yep, no, your will is fine. You don't need to be updated. Um, sure, some of the language differs from ours, but the key things that we ensure are in ours are in here, you right. know, so you're fine. If you want to update it with us, you can, but otherwise you're fine with what you have. We'll tell you that. Right. And Sheena, would you typically, um, when people are fresh through a separation and want to bring an existing will, or either they're looking into getting a new will, if they haven't already come at the beginning, would you look at that separation agreement? Would that be important yes. to you to kind of yes. see? There is yeah. an existing separation agreement. I need to see it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Similarly, I know that's not really context for this call per se, but if there's a domestic agreement in place, so things haven't quite fallen apart, yeah. But, you know, there's a domestic agreement, you know, which covers, you know, say a common law relationship or often blended families. We see that as well about what their rights are. We need to see that as well. So right. it's in a similar vein. If you have signed any agreement with your spouse, yeah. you know, about and that has anything to do with how your property is dealt with, including your finances or anything like that, we need to see it because we have to make sure that your will doesn't contradict it. Because right. um, then you're setting yourself up for litigation if you have a will that contradicts your, you know, separation agreement, and then the court has to decide which one trumps. Yes, because I know, like a lot of my agreements will say we will make wills consistent with this agreement. So then, if they're not mm-hmm. consistent, then then, then exactly, then then effectively they may be void, right? It's a question for right. a court. And remember, if you have to get the court involved, you're talking about thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars of expense. Yeah. So no, you don't want to go that route because it's easily preventable. Um, make sure that, uh, I mean, we ask anyway, as part of our questionnaire, um, an initial intake, do you have a separation agreement in place? 
Do you have a domestic agreement in place? Do you have any other agreement that binds you and your spouse, estranged or not? Because uh, if so, we need to see it and we need to ensure that we are drafting your will and powers of attorney because sometimes they have terms regarding those decisions that are made when you're alive, right. but incapable. Um, make sure that everything is in line with each other and they work in tandem to achieve your goals. Right. That's so important too. Yep. To make sure. And, and that's what my big thing with my clients is too, is just being well-informed. And I yep. think that until someone does talk um, with someone with your expertise, they're not informed about exactly. even choices that they might be making or the ramifications of those. And so much yeah. money yeah, is on the table. Exactly. And that you could be saving in the long term yeah. by far. Yes. By yeah. getting just adequate advice, you know, from firms like ours and uh, and adequate planning and signing those documents. And then, you know, they're done. Right. So Shana, can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, how they can contact you? Would they come initially yeah. for a consultation? How does that work? Absolutely. Yes. So our firm is virtually entire. That's it. I must say virtually entirely remote, yeah. especially <laughs> using that term in this day and age. So yeah. we are effectively a remote law firm that can service clients throughout Ontario. Okay. We have an office in Hamilton that we use if needed, if the circumstances are such that we do need to consider meeting the person, you know, physically in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I and my team, we have a junior lawyer and two law clerks, as well as a firm manager. So we have a team behind us. Uh, can arrange to meet that client as needed uh, on an exceptional exception basis. Right. Um, so otherwise, you don't have to worry about taking time out of your schedule, you know, to come into our office in downtown Hamilton, um, or we have a satellite office now up in Owen Sounds. So either way, taking time out to come and physically meet with your lawyer to number one, you know, go over your planning instructions and everything, and number two, on a separate appointment to sign. You don't have to do that anymore. It's all done remotely. And uh, so we can take your instructions, you know, by video call, by questionnaire, by follow-up telephone calls. That way we make sure that uh, everything is as it needs to be. We send you your drafts by word, by email, you review, let us know if any changes need to be made. And then we finalize and we book a video call for signing. Okay. So that's what you can expect with the process. And uh, to get in touch with us, to get that process started, you can go to our website, which is www.beeksmalaw.ca. And um, I'm sure that information will be, you know, appended to um, this podcast. And there's an instant booking tab on our website. Go ahead and click on that. You can schedule your complimentary initial consultation with a senior law clerk on our team uh, who will let you know which package you fit into. And uh, or if a customized quote is needed because your circumstances are quite complex and um, and then let you know what documentation we need from you. If you decide to press play with us that we need from you to get started. So that's where you start is you book your consultation through our website, instant booking tab. And then I've just given you that little overview of what you can expect in the process. You don't have to come in in person to do it. You can do it from the comfort of your home, your work. Like you can have your signing meeting on your lunch break at work. If you're back at work, I love it. Smartphone, and you have your copy of your documents because you do have to sign a hard copy. Uh, but yeah, you have it printed on your video call. Sign it, and uh, we're and then we sign our end, and we're done. So I love it. Yeah, I love it. We so a few things. Yep, for sure. We will have in our show notes. We'll have um, the links to your website where people can contact you and. Yeah, I love how streamlined it is now virtually because a lot of times this is very time sensitive, right? People need to give an example of someone who had a little window for a loophole there. So um, yeah, and and all the more reason why people can get on this and uh, yeah, get the services started. Well, thank you so much. I know I've even learned a lot today about things that I can even add to mentioning to my clients about this joint tenancy as well. And um, just lots of information here that I know people can start to use today. Excellent. Well, thank you again for having me. I'm glad to share it. And, uh, and if clients are wondering, oh, well, is she booked up for the rest of the year? We do still have capacity. Um, So we can get this done before Christmas. Nobody wants to think of this over the holidays. So if you do get in touch with us in the next, you know, within the next month or less, then we can definitely get you taken care of ASAP. Um, So yeah, either way, get in touch with us. If you feel as if, okay, I need to do this. This is something I've been putting off. Yeah. Yeah. Putting it off. You still can do it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shana. You're welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much. So much info. 
Awesome. Awesome. I know it's probably like a bit of an information overload, like dump, but it's like, okay, hopefully the end of the day, it's like, get it done. Yeah. And I will definitely be referring. Yeah. Some clients to you, like I said, I, this gives, I do always strongly encourage the estate planning, but this even gives me more like in almost insisting, you know, that they go, they go get it done. That joint tenancy thing I kind of was aware of, but not in as fine a point as you explained it. Yeah, no, I'm happy to hear that. And yeah, it's, it's one of those swords that people do have. I mean, and you can legally do that. A lot of people, like you said, don't realize that you, you don't have to put your estranged spouse, especially if there are concerns about aggression from that ex mm-hmm. or whatnot, mm-hmm. you don't have to put them on notice at all. You, they don't have to receive a copy of it or anything after you've done it. You just go to your lawyer, say, I want to sever the joint tenancy and they can legally sever it without notice to the other side. Now I've also had it on the flip side where it may not be a spouse. Say I have a granddaughter, grandma situation where we're acting for the granddaughter. They yeah. have a dispute regarding their ownership of the property. And they used to be joint tenants because she was like her grandmother's, you know, caregiver and everything. And, um, and grandma, you know, got all pissy for lack of a better word of with better way of putting it, went to her lawyer, severed the joint tenancy. And so granddaughter says, well, hang on. I think I heard that she went to her lawyer. Can you check title? And turns out grandma had severed the joint tenancy. Wow. So now our client is a 50% owner, which is still something. Mm-hmm. But um, in that scenario where she would have had a good prospect of grandma would have predeceased her, which would have happened. Mm-hmm. And she would have been able to own the entire thing outright. But no, grandma put it at 50%. And uh, so there is some other litigation, you know, not related to that act because you can't mm-hmm. sue grandma for that. But in terms of just trying to force a sale of the property now, because they can't live together. So at least my client can walk away with her 50%. Grandma gets her 50% and they can go their separate ways. Um, but yeah, it was like, yeah, she's legally entitled to do that. And you have no recourse against her for that. Right Now um, I'm thinking about how would it work? So in a situation, so if someone went ahead of time and severed, got severed with severing joint tenancy and mm-hmm. then they settled their equalization payment and they wanted to take some payment from their share of the equity mm-hmm. of their 50% mm-hmm. equity. So would they have to revoke severing, like change it back yeah. again? Nope. Nope. So what they can do, I mean, they they have 50% share of the property, right? So then it depends on how their financing arrangements would go in terms of paying out that NFP, right? Right. So if say they plan on refinancing to do that, then maybe there's an agreement between both parties that they agree to the refinancing up to a particular cap so yeah. that then, and the weight of that refi, like you have your agreement in place would fall on the one who's pulling out more from their share to pay out that NFP to balance things out for the equalization payments. Okay. So it's a matter of how you want to work out the finances of that, right? Or if they're selling, then that's the easiest way, right? There's no, there's yeah. not much moving around. You sell the property, each of you has 50%. And now you say Joe Schmo have to pay out an extra, I don't know, $7,500,000 out of your share for your equalization payments uh, under your NFP calculations. So yeah. So it doesn't, there's no having to reverse it for that purpose. It's just a matter of how they're going to tap it, how the payee will tap into their equity per right. their share to pay. And that comes down to whether they're going to refinance or rely on sale proceeds. Yeah, because typically, so when a buyout's happening, the one party refinances for all of it, plus mm-hmm. their buy up and they'll need the consent of the other title owner to do that refinance they can't refinance on their own yeah 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 and then the property transfer happens okay exactly okay very interesting yeah yeah so yeah there are different ways that you can structure it and we also help that's why it's kind of nice that we have the real estate part of our practice as well yeah Um, but yeah we're about 70 percent estates and about 30 percent real estate with a small bit of business law maybe five or ten percent but the real estate and estates really interact so well with each other that way. So it's like, okay, if you need a tailored, you know, real estate agreement now to address this payout in line with your, you know, settlement agreements in terms of your separation agreement, then yeah, then we can put that together as well so that you are able to have the funds flow. It's clear, you know, who's responsible for this, especially because it's really only response. It's only an issue if you're continuing to own the house, if you're refinancing, then you really want to have it set up whose liability is this? You may yes. be on there because you're co-owner by necessity, but at the end of the day, 
where does the buck stop, right? Yeah. If your ex who's still also having to stay on title right now because of the real estate market, so you had yeah. to refinance to pay each other out, then you want to make sure that you as a non-paying owner is not holding an empty bag because now you're on the hook for their bill to you, which you just, you can see, start circles I, around and then you're suddenly yeah. money out of pocket. So yeah, so if they need an extra agreement drawn up to address that, basically a co-ownership agreement yeah. is what that would be, then we do that as well. So that that's taken okay. care of. I have clients I'm going to strongly recommend see you because now would both can both see you in that situation? Like I have one where they both want to, there's sort of this hippie situation and they <laughs> both, they're separate, living in the same home, raising their kids, they put separate doors, but they basically want to stay there indefinitely. Mm -hmm. um so they sort of have an interim agreement that we're working on I'm still working with them but yeah I've brought up all these issues that what happens if something happens to one of your health the home needs repair like what mm -hmm. defaults in the mortgage like none yeah. of these are taken care of yeah well they if are they still legally married yes okay so under the the income tax act they'd be considered to be related persons so in that case, under our professional obligations, we can act for both sides if they okay. are related persons, right? Okay. It's if they're divorced that they would no longer be related persons. Right. Um, so if they're still legally married, yes, we can, but we would strongly recommend, we basically would primarily act for one, recommend that the other one get independent legal advice or sign a waiver of independent legal advice. And then in that case, we can still be acting for both, but we're a little bit heavier on one than the other. Because that's inevitable. Yeah. All right. And then, of course, if there's an irreconcilable conflict between the two, then they understand that because of the conflict of interest rules, I'd have to withdraw as their lawyer and our firm would have to withdraw as its law firm for Got both. Because okay. we can't act where the where the conflict has become. Yeah, yeah. So if they're hippie, you know, yeah. uh, in that mindset, they really try to work well together, then yes, we can handle like a co-ownership agreement. For instance, we do that regularly for both sides, but under that okay. understanding that, you know, you're related parties under the Income Tax Act, so it's a carve out and you get your independent legal advice or ILA, or at least understand that you're waiving it and, um, and no irreconcilable conflict. You okay. set those ground rules, yeah. then yes, you can do that. Okay. If they're still married. Okay. Yeah. I know they are still now. They're just separated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Jennifer. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. much. It's such a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for having me as a guest on this again. Yeah. And look forward to continuing to work together in different capacities. That I do way. too. I really hope yeah. our paths will cross again. Thank they you definitely will. Much. I think without a doubt. Take good care. Have a good weekend. Yes, you too. Okay. Thank you. Bye now.